Welcome, everyone. This is Mac on the Rock with the Concrete Conservatives. Late lunch hour here on WSQF 94.5. I have a very special guest. For me, it's very important and very uh, appropriate for me to say that the person in this South Florida, which is kind of hectic South Florida, to bring us Mass Academy High School to keep us game when nobody else would, not the superintendent, not the school board in general, not the county public schools, not the village of Key Biscayne, not the council members in Key Biscayne. Raquel Regalado brought us Mass Academy High School, and I know because I was sitting in the front row. Raquel, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Uh, we have so many things to talk about, but uh, but yes, we got to talk about masks, right? We got to talk about masks. We got to take it in the Wayback Machine. Uh, yes, you remind me that it's as yes. far back as 2010 when this conversation sto- uh, started. And I also have here in the studio Armando Chapelli, who's kind of like creating a ruckus in Washington, D.C. He's like a big boy. He deals with the, the federal administrators who are now running for the Republican committee member. As a Republican committee member, obviously, you're from Key Biscayne. You're also president of the Republican club here in Key Biscayne. We've yes. known each other for years. A delegate. And a delegate to the convention as well. And a delegate to the convention. Yes, indeed. Elected delegate. And you're going without a mask. But, uh, <laughs> well, and uh, uh, basically these two individuals are going to repre- represent us well. I'm biased, of course, because the name of the show is The Concrete Conservative. I invite all the uh, opposing candidates to come here in the studio since this is an FCC facility. So by law, I have to open it up for everyone. So... Uh, if Mayor Lerner can agree not to scream at me in here because I scream louder than her, she's welcome to come into the studio as well. And she can actually do her antics here. I'm kind of fine with it, but I'm going to be louder than her. And then, and I believe that the other gentleman, like uh, Rosenberg, I believe is his name. So they're welcome to come in here at another date. But uh, Raquel, tell us uh, how important it was to build this high school and and. Tell us what you did that I couldn't possibly explain, even though I brag about you all the time. <laughs> thank you. Well, thank you so much. I mean, it was such a, a difficult task, but, you know, that's why I said we have to go in the Wayback Machine and explain it to people because, you know, unfortunately or fortunately, right, uh, when something works out, it's everybody's baby. Right. So after the expansion of Mast Academy raised property values um, and became uh, more successful than it was before, because you and I were accused of wanting to ruin Mast Academy, yes. if you'll remember. Yes. I was specifically accused of selling Mast Academy to Key Biscayne. That was the that was the point that was made uh, time and time again. But, you know, uh, now that it's a tremendous success and that the parents of Key Biscayne um, have added so much and that the students of Key Biscayne have added so much and made Mast Academy a neighborhood school, now they rewrite history. And everybody was for it. uh, And and the fight that we fought kind of gets forgotten. So thank you for the opportunity to talk about how difficult it was. And and first and foremost, I got to say, like I was saying uh, before the show, the first time I met you in May of 2010, uh, I told you that I was running for school board and you said, don't even promise me a high school because we've been asking for a high school for 38 years. Yes. Don't even promise it because it's never going to happen. And I remember telling you like, well, well you never say chance. never. Yeah. <laughs> and I said, well, if, if there's something I could do yes. to accelerate things, I'm going to do it, and I hope you're going to be supportive of it. 
And we had a conversation about neighborhood schools. And and this was a conversation that was very controversial and that I brought to the school board as a parent of children in the school system. And and look, that came up in the Miami Herald editorial uh, about my age and about my background. I think that, you know, government needs to have representation of different generations because we all bring a different perspective. And, you know, fortunately for men, that's... And it's your country, so... Right, no, no, but fortunately for men, you know, that happens a lot. Unfortunately for women, there's this belief that women shouldn't run for office until after they raise their children and the kids go away to college. And um, I was up against that when I ran for the school board. My my children were babies, you know. My, my daughter was uh, in first grade. She had been diagnosed with autism. She was the reason that I was running. Um, and I was a single parent. I was recently divorced. I had just lost my mother. I had no support, you know, system. And, and I found myself um, up against a district that was very complicated, despite the fact that I'm an attorney, you yes. know, and that I'm and educated and, and been very articulate. And I was a ra- I was been on the radio um, all these years. So, you know, it was very frustrating for me to see that the school board did not have that, you know, parent in the classroom perspective. Right. Yes. It had a much older, you know, administrative, you know, grandparent perspective. And we have that in the county now, too. Right. Uh, which is why one of the things that Miami Herald uh, mentioned was that I would be the only working mother. I would be the only working mother on the county commission. And I think it's important for us to talk about, you know, how the pandemic is impacting different segments of our society and how it's impact it's impacting women. You know, this decision for virtual schooling impacts women more than men. For the men that are listening, I'm sure you're going to try to do your part, but I'm almost 100% sure that 99.9% of the burden is going to fall on women. And for working women, it's very difficult because we're being asked to choose between our careers and making sure that our children do not lose an academic year. So we got to talk about that. But uh, but back to MAST, um, you know, one of the things that was very difficult about, you know, trying to get people to understand why Key Biscayne deserved uh, uh, a high school was two points. Number one, when I got to the district in 2010, there was this obsession, and I called it an obsession on the dais, and I'll say it again here, with magnet schools. And and this idea that every school should be a magnet and that kids are supposed to come from all over, you know, and, and I challenged that. And, and by the way, I challenged that as a graduate of Cora Gable Senior High, the first APIB magnet that existed. And, so and, and, I, I graduated from a magnet. And uh, you know, Gaines Feeder School. Right, yeah. So I, I graduated from, you know, Cora Gables. I was, I was a child that was allowed to go to Cora Gables because I got into that magnet. But one of the things that I try to explain, you know, to my colleagues, you know, 25 years later, is that magnets have had a detrimental effect on our community because they've eroded neighborhood schools. When you buy a house, the first question that you ask your realtor is, what is my neighborhood school? And if your neighborhood school is a magnet and you have a better chance of getting hit by a truck than getting your kid in, that's a problem, you know. And yeah, it, it discourages people buying the neighborhood. Of course. And that's why you see this growth uh, in Pinecrest, you know, this exodus from Cora Gables because Cora Gables had controlled choice. The exodus from Key Biscayne because parents just did not have predictability uh, in terms of their education. You saw that starting in 
in middle school. They started to leave the key uh, because they just didn't want to deal with the high school. Um, and a lot of them have to factor in, which is what I saw in Brickell too. I was an advocate for a, a Brickell High School, which the district refused to do. On that one, I fought a good, I fought the good still, fight. And it's still, we still don't have it. Well, now, now Academica has stepped in and they're doing a charter school because the well, district. Also, you had the downtown charter that Jeb Bush did. Right. They kind of walked away from afterwards, but it was his first charter in South Florida. Yes. So Brickell was another hard-fought fight. After after Key Biscayne, you know, I represented the Brickell Homeowners Association, and I was in a difficult position there because I represented a part of Brickell, but I was not the school board member that represented the schools in Brickell. Uh, so even though, uh, much like Key Biscayne, you know, we had found a developer, we had we had a plan, and, and we had a way of providing a school, there wasn't the appetite to do it because they thought that it would have a negative impact on surrounding schools. All of the surrounding schools are beyond capped, right? So now we're talking about an expansion of Southside, and we've been talking about that for years too. But back to this idea of neighborhood schools. Neighborhood schools are so important. And it's important for children to be friends with children from their neighborhood. It's important for parents to have connectivity with their neighbors. And and really, neighborhood schools become the hub of our very complex world. Now, in in the pandemic, we all realized how important our neighbors were, right? Because it's like an extended hurricane. So we've all become intimately aware of our neighbors um, and and how important this support system is, right? Now, Now, we're not just... Um, our neighbors, but we're our own like little police force too. We're all going around making sure that Plus, everybody's there's safe. Also, there's an issue that you haven't mentioned yet, which is it's really hard is self motivating children who are now on virtual. Teaching. Well, we got to talk they about gotta, that. They got they yeah. got to work on their own. They got to be self motivated. It's not a teacher. Yeah, we got to go. Yeah, 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 we got to go back to the virtuals. But and so, dad's got to step up and make sure their kids do their homeworks. Yeah, it's difficult. It's going to be very difficult. But 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 back to this. So the neighborhood schooling was so important. And and the other component that was harder for people to understand is you know and, and you and I dealt with this at those many many meetings. This idea that an affluent an affluent community didn't deserve. A public school. Like, uh, that was actually said to me, like, on the dais, yeah, right? Like, don't that, represent Key Biscayne because they don't deserve it. They could do it for they themselves. Could, they could pay a private school. They, they, people literally told me that. And I was like, well, wait a second. You know, how? when did we decide that because a community is considered by someone affluent? Because, I mean, what is an affluent community, right? I mean, yeah, we're, we're, we're not ju- talking we're about guilty. Indian. We're not talking <laughs> about Indian Creek, right? right? You know, and even if we were talking about Indian Creek, people pay taxes and people have the right to access a public education. How can you decide... You unilaterally, right, that because of a certain economic, socioeconomic range, right, that you've established, that all of a sudden those people get left behind. And Especially they, when our taxes... Float the boat. They float the boat. We share with everybody else. Well, that that's the other reason. The way the the way that um, the taxes work for Miami Dade County Public Schools is that we get apart from the state that gets matched by property taxes. So the increase in property values in affluent communities really float the boat for those communities that don't have that growth in income. And and I and I spoke about this as you know for months. For months, I drilled it. I drilled it. I remember the silence when she spoke. (laughs) Because she was making sense, and the, her board members were PhD, so they argued with her. They're going to get it from her. Well, we, I was, was happy to talk funding, right? Yeah. I was happy to talk funding, and and look, I, one of the one of the reasons that I was successful at the school board, um, and and one of the reasons that I want to go to the county and, and be your commissioner, is because when it comes to funding and funding paradigms, like I don't take no for an answer. Uh, when um, the Miami Dade County schools got the largest cut. 
uh, we got a $2 billion cut in from education Scott. from Scott Two. because of BP and because of a bunch of other things that had happened. You know, everybody... Yeah, you fought for getting money from the... I did. Uh, I got $11 million from, from BP. Yeah, so, so, you know, so one of the now, things... how did you pull that one off? Well, what I did is... How are we impacted? This is very cool. <laughs> only an attorney can figure that one out. Speaking of funding, right? So I actually went historically through uh, the funding that the state of Florida provided the school districts with the match and showed that the decrease in the in the revenue received from the area around the panhandle that the state had gone in with the money that should have gone to education and filled that hole. So I showed a direct correlation between the BP oil spill and the funding that we lost. Uh, in that budget year. And I went to see Pam Bondi and I took her my math and I said, look, you know, this is the work that we've done. We want to be part of the state of Florida's uh, lawsuit against BP. And she said, no, we don't believe that the school system should get anything. And I said, listen, if you look at the state of Florida's budget, one of, if not the most impacted sector has been education because of this, because you guys can't cut prisons. You know, you've been unable to reduce, you know, the services, you know, you have a system that is bloated in part so you've cut education so we went back and forth i went back to the school board and i said look you know i want to sue bp uh and and they weren't very happy about it but they went along they went along because i told them it wasn't going to cost them anything i said don't worry about it it's not going to cost you a thing i went we hired morgan and morgan and uh morgan and morgan took the case they're on tv now they took the case and we actually got 10 other i i, I well, solicited Irvin, Irvin gonzalez rest in peace Irvin, yes my good he yeah. was also involved in BP. He was also involved in the BP litigation. Uh, but we got um, more school districts to come along, and we actually settled our case uh, with BP and got $11 million for our district before the state of Florida saw a penny. So I beat Pam Bondi to the punch, wait, you wait, know. Wait, wait, wait. I, know. <laughs> I, I have my, stand, my standing ovation. Funding, funding, funding. What are you looking for? I'll give you standing ovation. Yeah, later. thank you, thank you. But but it's all about it's all about funding, and that's and that's how we got to a resolution uh, when you know we did the expansion of Mass Academy, uh, because you'll remember. I mean, the district's first response was number one, Key Biscayne doesn't need a high school; they can go to Corey Gables, and number two, we don't have the money. Uh, and that's how we got into a conversation about how Key Biscayne needed a high school, why the proximity was important, how it would increase property values, and how it would capture students that were leaving the system and provide Miami-Dade County Public Schools with more students. Um, okay, so, but now we have the moment of crescendo. What, how valuable was the $9 million from the Oceania development? Huge, and that's 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 how that's where you step in, yes. and you were you did a the magnificent mo- job. Yes, it's uh, it's now on YouTube, so anybody who wants to watch it can. The money trail behind mast, and you can see me. Sorry, oh, I weigh I was weighing three hundred and twenty pounds, but I had a, a inferior beard. I have a better beard now, and uh, I think it's so important that that your success be told. Your story has to be told because here on WSQF Radio. We are actually your district's radio station because you could be heard all the way down to Palmetto Bay. Yes. yes. So it's important that uh, that people understand that some people get it done. And I think Miami Herald, who endorsed you, said it clearly. You get things done. Yeah, and I'm not just, here to start committees. You yes. know, I'm not here to start committees. No more death by committee. I mean, you know, unfortunately, you know, the the the, the other the other candidates in this race, like you ask them what's their biggest achievement, and they'll tell you that Screaming. they started a committee. Well, yes. Screaming at, at your residents. You know, we have a little town, right? Keep us game, village, keep us game. Well, 
one of the competing candidates, it's a, a basically a two-person race, uh, Mayor Lerner, she screams at her residences. You can see that on YouTube. She screams at them. Like, you're the only one up here losing your minds. Uh, you seem to be the other one upset with stuff. And people are, you know, doing their daily duties. Yeah, not, not, not the, the best way to and gain consensus. And, and look, we have a historic moment in Miami-Dade County. Everybody's talking about the mayor's race. But in 2012, uh, the residents of Miami-Dade County approved term limits. And now, in 2020, is when those term limits come to fruition. We have seven spots open. Phew in the Miami-Dade County Commission. We're talking about replacing people who have been there for over 25 years. This is historic in so many ways. And as you know, and for those that follow the County Commission, we have a strong mayor, but our mayor can only do what the seven votes on the commission allow him to do. The commission is the legislative body. And for many years, there's been a block of seven. And everybody knows who the seven is. You know, there's a block of seven that have lockstep supported the mayor of Miami-Dade County. First, Carlos Alvarez, you know, and then and then Carlos Jimenez. And now uh, who is the mayor is going to have to negotiate and there will be a new coalition of seven. And this new coalition, interestingly, is made up of a different generation of people, people who come from very different backgrounds. I'm the only school board member. Uh, I'm the only person with a background in education. Uh, and Which I is think, 50% of the real estate taxes. Yes. And, and it's important because what a lot of people don't know is Miami-Dade County is the largest provider of Head Start. Nobody's talking about that. Nobody's that's talking. That's the food, the breakfast. Right, so yeah. No, well, Head Start is the is the program for the babies. So it's the oh, pre K four. It's okay, the pre K four. And and it actually it yeah early education. It actually that's serves right. the poorest of the poor of Miami Dade County. Almost all of the essential workers in Miami Dade County go through Miami Dade County Head Start. Uh, Miami Dade County is also the largest summer camp and summer you know summer provider. Miami Dade County Public Schools doesn't do summer camps. What Miami Dade County Public Schools does is they uh, lease the space to private companies who do summer camps, but all the summer camps are done by Miami-Dade County. So the libraries are all done by Miami-Dade County. One of my frustrations uh, as a school board member was I signed memorandums of understanding with all my cities. I physically went to all the meetings, just like I used to come to the Key Biscayne, you know, village meeting. I used to go to Corey Gables. I'll give you an example of Corey Gables. You know, uh, I needed to redo the track you know, we didn't have the money. So we signed an agreement with Ransom Everglades. Ransom Everglades paid for the new track. And we entered into an MOU where uh, they used the track. And then also the residents that lived in Corey Gables had open access to the track. And and it was a very hot, hard fought thing. It sounds like a simple thing, but it no, was actually it took me like a year and a half to open the gates because they did not want to let the residents use the track. And for me, it's always been so important for people to understand that public facilities belong to the public yes. and that the public should have access to public facilities. And right now, and this takes us to virtual learning and what's happening with the district. This issue is a numbers issue. Meeting the CDC guidelines is a numbers issue. It's about facilities and how many children can safely be in a facility with a certain amount of distance. And we have not had the county step up. The county should have stepped up and said, these are my libraries. These are my buildings. This is what I can do. And second of all, the county and the school board should have worked together and done right by the people who need it the most. I am the parent of two autistic children. Autistic children do not do well with virtual learning. However, I work from home and I chose virtual learning because if there is a spot, I believe that spot should go to an essential worker who cannot stay home. 
I, I'd say it as a woman and as a and as a member of this community. We had, if they would have let us, you know, this tremendous opportunity to support each other. And we haven't even had that conversation. Instead of saying, oh, if, do you want to go home or do you want to say, what is that? Like, of course, everybody wants to go to school. What are you talking about? Yes. This is madness. No, we all want to go. A lot of people have two and three jobs. They need to get to work. Yes. I mean, listen. They need to have someone taking I, care of I their do, children. I do a radio show. I mean, the first hundred days, I put a studio inside my son's closet. I was literally coming in and, a clo- in and out of the closet every day with two autistic teens outside knocking, okay? <laughs> no es fácil. Uh, so, I mean, I'm the first one, you know, uh, that, that wants them to go back. But we also have to be responsible and, and we have to be honest about that there are people in our community that simply cannot. They do not have the resources that we have. I am blessed to be able to work from home. Yes, it's an inconvenience. Yes, I don't like being a police officer at my house and making sure that my son and my daughter are complying, you know, what with, with the school requirements. But you know what? We have access to other things. There are people in this community that don't have internet, that don't have computer training, that don't speak English. And and we should have responded to that as a community saying, you know what, just like you do a magnet program, just like they do at Key Biscayne, right, at Mass Academy, you know, this many children fit in this school, these are the people that need it the most, we're having a lottery. And everybody else, sit down, sit down and get comfortable because we have to do what's best for our community. We cannot ask people, especially low-income people who are uneducated to choose between their children's education and their job. We can't ask them to do that, you know. And, and if and, they lose their job, they have neither. Right. <laughs> education right. And, nor and, we, and we end up bearing the burden of that, right? We end up bearing the burden of that. So I think one of the things that the county needs is people that are a little bit more thoughtful. You know, I've criticized the county on how they've used the CARES Act. I think it's been negligent at best. You know, right now we're talking about Washington and and the stalemate and what's happening. Listen, one of the things that they're talking about in D.C. is that there are governments that got money months and months and months ago and have not put it out on the street. And Miami-Dade County is one of the prime examples. You know, the June 30th report that Miami-Dade County gave to the county commission of the $941 million that Miami-Dade County received from the CARES Act, they had spent less than $200 million. That's shameful. That's shameful. And now they're in a fight with the municipalities because the municipalities provided right. The municipalities provided services while the county was trying to figure out how to have a meeting, right? Because they couldn't figure out how to have a virtual meeting. It literally so, took them uh, weeks. One of the big expense, uh, expenditures, I've always wondered how it was being paid, has the, the testing. So, so there's federal testing, you know, so there's federal testing right now. There's two federal sites in Miami-Dade County, and then there's the, the county testing, and they get a reimbursement for that. And then the cities also stepped up and did their, did their own testing. So in part is the testing, in part is the first responders, you know, and, and their response. Because remember, we had a lot of police officers with COVID, a lot of firefighters with COVID, a lot of them in quarantine, you know, people working double shifts uh, because they simply our did poli- not have... police chief has COVID. Yes. No, the city of Miami police chief, you know, Codina was one of the first ones uh, to get it. Um, And they were because they're on the front line. They're on the front line. So now the cities are going directly uh, to the state to get money. You know, the cities were the first ones to provide rent relief. You know, the this is this has been a disaster in terms of putting the money on the street. They focused on buying foods. Nothing against buying food. Okay, buying food for elderly people and delivering to them is a wonderful, fantastic idea. We want them to stay home. But the other side of that, you know, after 100 days, you needed to kind of rethink what you were doing. 
and use this as an opportunity to help the economy and to give people jobs because no amount of food can pay your rent. And we know that the problem here is that people can't pay rent. So this was the the, the moment to get a little new deal, you know, and say, and you know what, we're going to clean streets, we're going to paint over graffiti, we're going to get people working, and, and we're going to push this money out so that people can pay their bills. Okay, but can the, can the county commission actually do what the federal government claims to do, which is put a moratorium on evictions. Well, no, what the county commission, what the, what the mayor and the county commission did was they, since the mayor is the, the sheriff, right? So Carlos Jimenez is the sheriff. Uh, that's going to change. The new commission that is elected this August is actually going to create the duties of the new sheriff. The new sheriff will be elected in 2023. The state law changed, and now Miami-Dade County will have a sheriff because for many years there's been a criticism, specifically of Carlos Jimenez, but in general that the mayor should not be the police chief, that the police chief should be separate from the mayor because there should be a separation of powers there in terms of execution. What Jimenez did as the sheriff is he said, I'm not going to have my police officers execute warrants. Just because now, now we're hearing that a lot in, right. the, in other cities that are rioting. Well, <laughs> but but what's what's really what what's important and where the power resides is in the governor's ability to hold off the process. So what the governor did is he signed an executive order in March, which he's been extending every month, um, saying that the judicial system cannot act upon evictions and foreclosures. Now the government the governor has the right to do that because. The governor is the one who allocates money for our judicial system. So he's the one that can sort of stop. So what's happening in Miami-Dade County is people have filed all these evictions and they filed all these foreclosures and they're all sitting there. There's close to 4,000 of them now. They're all sitting there. And and the minute that the governor says, okay, here we go, you know, the floodgates open and all those people are going to get a three-day notice. And then the judges have to respond to those three-day notices, and we start the eviction process. And those people owe everything from March. Yes. So you, you didn't solve the problem. You just stayed the problem, right? And for many of these people, you've complicated the situation because they, they would have made a decision to do something else. But because they thought that you couldn't evict them, they may have stayed, and now they owe an extra month, two, three, four, five. And and the, the madness about this— well, you're basically putting them in debt <clears throat> with your decision. Exactly. And then the madness about this is the county commission has not acted correctly. Uh, they have allowed Carlos Jimenez to work by executive order. I think that was fine for the first 100 days because everybody was trying to get their bearings, but we're past that now. The county commission should be having meetings, should be having public meetings. They should be bringing legislation where people talk about these issues because what's happening? Take the restaurants, for example. Here you have a county commission that has taken CARES Act money and passed legislation to provide loans to small businesses, including restaurants. Okay, They approve it. Less than 24 hours after they approve one of those loans, Carlos Jimenez decides that he's going to shut down restaurants. You know, so so you ask yourself as I'm a small business owner, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm an attorney. You know, I do I do work for clients. You know, I've had to pay employees. I pay utilities. Right. You know, anyone that has a business understands this. Um, 
No, I cannot request a loan if you can shut me down in 24 hours. Especially, Nobody in their right mind would do that. Especially in a restaurant where you have to get rid of the old food to open up again, and then you shut me well, down no, again. No, you have payroll. You have to pay payroll, and you have utilities, and you have costs. You can't, from one day to another, just tell me that I have to close. That's insane. So then the an entire political party that is devoted to the concept of destroying the economy. Well, yes, that's a whole that's a that's a whole that's a whole other show. But but I mean, but the the lack of common sense, right? And then you know, then the county commission says, well, you know, why are people applying for these loans? Well, I'll tell you why people aren't applying for these loans because you're telling them that they're going to borrow this money and pay it in three years, and they have no sense of what is going to happen. Government is supposed to provide. Um, continuity and consistency. Government is supposed to provide predictability. That is the role of government. That's why government moves as slow as it does, because it's supposed to provide a sense of continuity. And here we have total and complete chaos. And and now you have, okay, well, uh, you know, I'm going to close the gyms. I'm going to open the gyms. I'm going to close the marinas. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to open the marinas. I, well, you can stay in the marina if you live in the marina. Well, I don't know. We got to check the numbers again. Who Who is supposed to run a business like this? So there, they... The the uh, the appropriation of the CARES Act money, you know, has not been in line with the actions that are being taken by Miami-Dade County, and it's been very chaotic. I will say this: the only positive thing of this pandemic is the following. I have spent years trying to explain to people how the decisions made, you know, at the school board and at Miami-Dade County impact your life, and now yes, they got the memo. They got the memo. <laughs> They got, they, they got the message, yeah. Now everybody's like, wow, Raquel, this is serious, right? Like, I have to decide, like, you know, when we when we were asked to vote about the virtual thing, like, par- parents were, Raquel, we got to decide what happens in the next year? I'm like, yeah, you got to decide what happens in the next year. Madness, I know. But they've, they've, they've put this on us because they don't want to take responsibility. And they called it parental choice. Th- that was not about parental choice. That was about not wanting to take responsibility. And we should be honest about that, you know, because I think... Think that you know you one of the one of the most difficult parts about government is kind of understanding that sometimes you have to make difficult decisions that people are not going to like, and you have to have the wherewithal to stand by that decision and to say, look, this is the right thing. And, you know, I stand on my reputation that this is going to work out. And I think right now, you know, it's a very hard thing for people to say because everybody wants to go back you know, to how things were. Everybody wants like an easy fix. There is no easy fix to this. We don't go back, you know, and and look, I chose virtual for my son before everybody chose virtual. And I told everybody, we're going to end the virtual anyway. You might as well just choose virtual now because it just didn't make sense. If you look at the numbers, there was no way that you could do it. I participated in the summer camps. All the summer camps closed. And we were using stricter protocols than the ones that are being provided for schools. So that gives you a heads up about how complicated well, that is. My personal experience watching my daughter's last months at Mass virtual, uh, her senior year, I noticed. Oh, poor thing. Yeah, poor never, thing. No graduation, the irony, oh. the irony of that. I saw that in the virtual classes. She told me, stay out of the screen. You know, I can't walk behind her or anything. Uh, so I would talk. Over Don't the, photobomb. Yeah. So I noticed that uh, it allows the lazy to be lazier. It allows the committed student to be committed. Uh, you can tell who has the volume on and off in terms of the students on the virtual. And some some pictures I could see the little thumbnails. The kid's not there. 
Right. And the teacher doesn't have the time to say, hey, where's so and so? So, good, good, good <laughs> news. A lot of, yeah, good there's news. A, there's a lot of problems. Yeah. A lot of people are going to fall behind with this. Yeah, good news on the virtual. So, you know, one of the problems last, you know, last semester was we kind of like just like went home. Like, just like Friday at five o'clock, they're like, everybody go home. And, and we were sent home, and there was no explanation to children about covid or about why we were going home or how long we were going home and and you really were at the mercy of your principal and how techy your teacher was you know That's and if issue. and, and if they were some teachers had had problems with the right some the were virtual. some were doing it better than others you know um so it, it was really kind of a hit or miss um, and if you had a motivated, responsible student, well, then that student, you know, can learn in a box. And he was so motivated, motivated or she was motivated at home, you know, doing virtual. Now, this time around, it's a little different. I wish they would have been more, you know, honest about it and started planning, like, you know, talking well, tell, to parents I mean, earlier. Honestly, Raquel, how are you going to fit the normal amount of kids in a classroom on a screen? Well, here we go. So what they're using is the platform. I don't think they've told parents yet, but but I'll I'll, I'll tell you here. Um, it, it's actually called uh, K-12. If you go to K-12.com, that's the platform that the school district has chosen. They're going to be rolling it out uh, in late August for parents to start understanding how to use it. Uh, it's actually a platform that started with homeschooling, and it's a virtual option that allows one-on-one. So here's the thing with virtual. Uh, nobody likes this. Uh, none of us are happy with it, but it is an opportunity. It's an opportunity for our children to use technology in a different way. For those of you that are listening like me who went home with your laptops and now do Zoom meetings every day, this is not going away. You know, this new modality uh, is is going to stay and, and we're seeing it on different levels in different areas um, in the, in the practice of law. Um, now it's a lot easier for us to meet with our clients on a Zoom meeting. You know, in the construction world, construction is one of the, it is the only industry that never stopped. Construction is the only industry that has continued uh, to make yeah, money throughout, you know, the, yeah, that has continued to make money throughout the pandemic. We have accelerated all our state construction projects. FDOT is actually two years ahead of schedule because of the pandemic, because people weren't using the road. So they were able to move a lot faster and to work faster shifts. So there is going to be a tremendous opportunity. Um, and one of the things that the governor wrote about in his opening of schools uh, plan was the need to invest in vocational schools and vocational training. We have been talking long about overdue. this long overdue. And, and listen, this was one of the reasons that I left the school board, because I wanted to go to the county and talk about vocational um, and talk about, you know, water and sewer, which we have to talk about because it's a huge issue here in the key. So in 16, when I ran for mayor, I talked about water and sewer. I talked about all the issues that we had with Durham. I talked about, you know, seawalls and mangroves and, and how our pipes were bursting because we have a, a third world, you know, water and sewer system. And I talked about vocational training. We've had that problem here in the key where right. our, our beaches all of a sudden start stinking. Right. So they've now. Now, you know, we have and listen, Miami-Dade has been non-compliant with federal regulations since 2003. Okay, so we've been kicking the can. We've been kicking the can for a long time. OK, I got now you said water and sewer. This is probably the biggest question as an elected official. And I think it should be addressed sooner or later. Would you be in support of moving the entire sewer facility off Virginia Key in the billions that that would cost? Of course, the federal government lay, laying a hand. Right. Because the the, the, the the lame brains that put it there back in the 40s was pretty stupid to begin with. But now that we're such a huge city 
and we're a low-lying city, and there's nowhere really elevated area right. to put this. That's the whole. The, the question biggest, is where. The question is where and what. So, so, so. I know where. By it's just pieces. Un, it's, just un, it's an unpleasant where. Right. You know where my where is? Where? You can beat me up all you want because I'm on the radio. I can handle it. The tropical park. Oh, they'll lose their minds. They'll lose they'll, their, they'll mind. lose their minds. They'll lose their minds. From a leisure facility to a, an industrial facility overnight. It's the only place. They'll, they'll lose their minds. So, so here's a few things. One of the big issues that we have here on, on the key uh, with water and sewer is ocean outfall. Okay. Yes. So for those listeners that don't know what ocean outfall is, um, back in 2000, the federal government said you need to start, you know, you know, doing something else with treated sewer water. You cannot just throw it back into the ocean. It impacts our environment. Precisely why right. we can move the sewer system. Exactly. So, um, so we started, you know, and, it, and it's interesting because some of the people on this race call themselves environmentalists, but they were the architects that pushed back, you know, ocean outfall. But a story for another day. <laughs> but anyway, we still are non-compliant. Uh, Monroe is compliant. Jupiter is compliant. There's a lot of counties that are compliant with ocean outfall. They no longer put septic, you know, water. Water into the ocean. We are not. We're still doing it. Um, and if we stop doing it, we would actually be able to access state funding for septic to sewer. Because another problem that Miami Dade County has that forty percent of Miami Dade County is on septic, and septic. And half of us were. Yes, oh, wow. and septic, septic. I mean, these septic tanks were built in the thirties, forties, and fifties. They concrete, concrete. They're coffins. concrete. You know, they're they're leaking. I they mean, crack, they have yes. beautiful lawns, but they're leaking into <laughs> our water system. You know, I mean, the lawns are lovely, right? You 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 know, it's a septic tank when you walk green by. You're grass. like, that's the greenest grass I've ever seen. Uh, but it's it's leaking into our water. Uh, uh, it's contaminating the bay. It's contaminating our beaches. And these houses, you know, not only were these septic tanks built before I was born, right? They were also built for a lower capacity of use. Uh, I'm a native Miamian. You know, I'm the only native Miamian in the race. I would like to know. I would just like to note because it's funny how the people who run against me because I'm on Spanish radio, they paint me like as the foreigner. And I'm like, what are you talking about? You got a bunch of transplants. I was like born and raised in Miami. Um, I, you know, I grew up in Miami in the 70s when it ended on 88th Avenue, you know, like literally like Dadeland was the end. It was like a cliff, you know, yes, and Westchester ended at uh, 107th. 107th. Yes. Uh, and, you know, I grew up uh, in the district and the only restaurant I, I always tell people that I learned to ride my bike and and to roller skate on on Brickell. Because there were no cars on Brickle. There were four buildings and mangroves. And it was like the safest place to go and ride your bike was on Brickle uh, from where I lived. And Coral Way was uh, made up of duplexes and triplexes. Uh, there were no buildings. And there were actually no restaurants in all of that area until you got to uh, South Dixie where there was a Howard Johnson's. Uh, you guys remember the Howard, the Howard Johnson's? And my parents would only take us on Wednesdays, which was all you can eat clam which nights. Now, which is now a Denny's, right? Is yes. It? Yeah, it's the same spot. It's yeah. the same spot. And actually, my first job was I worked at the Blockbuster Video on Mariposa. Oh right there on, on Dixie. On my post no, on I remember Dixie. you also had in the Gables on 8th Street, you had the barbecue place. The barbecue. Uncle uh, Uncle Tom's. Uncle Tom's. Uncle Tom's. Uncle Tom's. Uncle Tom's. Uncle Tom's. And, you had, and you had a Krispy Kreme. Uh, you had a Krispy Kreme. You had a Krispy Kreme. It's still there by daylight. Still there. Yeah, you had a Krispy Kreme. I think Kreme. the family home still lives in the little apartment on top. And, okay, but wait and, a second. And in daylight, you had like, remember when there was the extra? 
Like, remember when everybody had, like, the extra? Uh, but, you know, it was it was a very different place, and people didn't, that many people didn't live here, and a lot of these houses didn't have that many people. They had older people. Uh, they had people that came for a few months. They didn't have five, six, seven people. Um, so these, these septic tanks do not have, were never built for this capacity. Even in their golden era, they were not built for this kind of use. So if we complied with ocean outfall, which is a priority of mine, and we can do it, we just got got an EPA loan. Uh, Mario Diaz-Balart, you know, was able to get it from Miami-Dade County, giving us the money uh, to finally finish Ocean Outfall. If we comply with it, we can get state funds and we can take um, septic to sewer. Now, once we take septic to sewer, the next... I know, I know, I'm going, I'm going, I'm going. Then, then we have to talk, we have to have a serious conversation about capacity and about, you know, and about the treatment centers. Okay, here's another idea. Uh, can the Hialeah Sewer Department be expanding gargantuanly? Well, Hialeah was... And still service the south part of the day. That's the question. That's why I say Tropical Park, because you need a certain level of elevation from sea level. Right. Because of the flows of water. You right. You want things backing up. You've got to go in areas, unfortunately, where values are depreciated because the sewer system doesn't help anybody around it in terms of zoning, in terms of real estate values. That's always a political problem. It's a NIMBY, not in my neighborhood. Not in my neighborhood. Right. Uh, um, What is it? I mean, it's probably the question that people are asking. Then I have one more hoodwinker, and Armando, either Armando needs to come up with an idea better than mine because uh, he is actually a Republican. Uh, You say it's a commissioner, right, Armando? A commissioner? No. Committeeman and delegate. delegate. You're He's a, delegate. a committeeman and I'm a delegate. Candidate for committeeman. Your committeeman. District 19, number 144. 48. Oh no! <laughs> I'm 344. You're 344. Four. I'm 344. Four. 148. And you told me too long ago, like 20 minutes ago. Also, plug my good friend Liliana Ross, number 96, for state committee woman for the Republican Party, a very hard worker, committed Republican. Well, you've got the floor right now, so please uh, tell us why they're going to vote for you. Well, you can't mention Kiko because Kiko is another resident who's also running. Uh, you pronounce his last name better than I do. You can pick two. And you can pick two people. So they're two Cuba scanners. And you might as well talk for Kiko, too, since he's not here. Uh, tell me what is it that you're planning to do for the Republican Party so that Raquel can take a rest here because she's got her radio She's got a radio dial going. You, uh, Kiko, by the way, I think it's number 151. He's okay. at the bottom of that four-person choice. Does, does his name in parentheses going to show up? The Kiko yes. is going to show up on the ballot? I yes. don't think it showed up as Kiko. It showed up as Alberto. Alberto, Alberto Sarasua. And uh, he's a, a good guy. Um, so what motivated you to be a delegate? I was conscripted. I was a... Oh, yeah. Or was it a lobotomy? The, the privateer <laughs> showed up and picked me out of the docks here in Key Biscayne and yeah. took me off. Um, I've been involved in Republican port- politics all my life, but mostly from a distance. And I get involved this time because we finally have a president, I, in my view, who doesn't need the money. And in the past, we've had a number of presidents who have worked for the money, earned the money while in the White House. and um, Yeah, isn't that amazing? They go after a man who's made a living before he's elected, and they don't go after all those politicians who made a living while they were elected? Hundreds of millions of it's dollars. It's a sad human story. And um, so 
I felt for the first time we had the possibility of doing some good things, and w we have done some good things. Now, tell people in South yeah. Florida that you really had a, a very successful career in aviation in Washington, D.C., so you know Correct. exactly how Washington works. That's one of the other reason I was going to cite why I got involved is because I spent 30 years in Washington, D.C. I, I made my bones in the streets of Washington <laughs> fighting the lobbyists and everyone else. In my business, I started the company in 1979, and I uh, ran it in D.C. until 2000. I still run it commuting back and forth. It's an um, aviation technology company that has very, it's been very successful. And um, I, I understand the workings of Washington, and I think I have grown up with a lot of the, the good people who have good intentions. And a thick skin. And uh, you have to have a patience and a thick skin. And... It's like international politics. There are no permanent enemies or friends in Washington. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there was a Clinton administration official. Uh, I forgot his name, the little short guy who drove me crazy. I couldn't stand him. But he said that Washington, D.C. is the only place I've ever seen where they don't stab you in the back. They stab you in the front. <laughs> While you pay them. Yes. <laughs> While you pay them. Um, While you pay them. Exactly. I think Lyndon Johnson captured the spirit when he said that in in Washington, if you want a friend, buy a dog. <laughs> he didn't say rescue a dog. He didn't say Martha Stewart said, uh, a dog. "Do you want a friend? <laughs> plant a garden." Dog. <laughs> well, yeah, that's even worse, you know. She went through her stuff <laughs> and she goes, "You want a friend? Plant a garden." <laughs> oh my God. Okay, so uh, so I'm I'm working with a group of very committed conservatives in Washington, D.C. It's an organization called the Conservative Partnership Institute led by former Senator Jim DeMint. Um, and as part of this organization is Jim Jordan, uh, Congressman Meadows, who's the chief of staff for the Trump White House at the present time, and a number of other um, committed conservative Republicans members of what is known as the Freedom Caucus and yes. also the Freedom Fund. So anyone who wants to contribute to the right cause, I would go to the Freedom Fund and look it up. And The last of the conservatives in the Republican Party. The last. And, and they are uh, good people. Um, so I'm very optimistic that uh, at the other end of this uh, pandemic, I, I'm sorry. Yeah, no, you said it right. Planned, uh, it's a pandemic. <laughs> I agree 100%. It's a pandemic. Um, this is a, a beyond beyond comprehension in my view. Oh, no, you haven't seen nothing yet. I have to ask this to Raquel. The mail-in ballots. What mm -hmm. chaos are we expecting at the mail-in ballots? Well, listen, um, the, 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 the Democratic Party has been actively generating, you know, uh, mail-in ballots. Um, our mail-in ballot system is very different from other places um, because we've had a lot of fraud. <laughs> been there, been there, done that, been there, done that. Uh, but we've also changed uh, the laws and, and we've created a tracking system and there's more accountability. So in this case, I think we were a little bit more prepared than other places. Uh, and a lot of people were prepared this time. Yeah, no, I think the county... This pandemic multiplies the amount of people who are going to be voting. Well, no, because, you know, there have been people who have been generating 
you know, uh, ABs. Uh, the Republicans have not been generating ABs, so they're behind. If you look at the numbers, the numbers speak for themselves. But uh, yesterday was the first day of early voting. We've had a lot of people go to early voting. Okay, tell our audience what ABs are. I'm uh, so they're so they're absentee ballots. Uh, we don't call them that anymore. They call them nail, vote by mail. They changed the name because yeah, yeah, we had to. We had a lot of fraud, so we yeah. had to change it. But now there's a tracking system. Uh, and now you can cure your signature. Uh, and one of the things that, you know, the the county did this year, which I think is smart, is they're allowing people to turn them in at the early voting sites. So I voted AB for a long time. Uh, my father voted AB for the first time this time. He is not an AB voter. He was not happy with the AB process. He's always gone to early voting or even election day. Me too. I'm very paranoid. I I will tell you, I've never missed an election. Um, I voted, you know, when I I studied abroad and I voted AB when I studied abroad. And then when I had the kids, I mean, I have two autistic kids. Life can get complicated, you know? So I became an AB voter because if somebody lost a shoe or or decided to do something, you know, I was going to miss an election. Uh, So I was always very... very practical. Refuses to get dressed. Right. I was. I'm a very practical person. Uh, so I've been voting AB for a while. So I've seen the change in sort of like how they count ABs. Uh, this time around, you know, so one no of the more hanging chats. No, the hanging chats. You know, it was 20 years the other day from the hanging chats. And, you uh, have to, and we have to, in a, in a moment of appreciation, because this show is about gratitude. That it seems to be a lost quality in the human spirit these days. But we have, we have to uh, thank. Because he's in a political opposition of ours, Alex Benellis, who stood the ground and chained the elections doors yes. and says, we're not recounting. That's it, right. This is it. This is the total. And look how close the election was. Had right. he recounted, God knows where ballots would have ended up. Who knows? And he knew that. And look, it cost his candidate the election, I believe, because Dade County, winning, winning court, didn't have to recount. The number ended up being 560-something, yeah. 563 votes. And us being the largest uh, voting district, per se, among the states, I really fear that all happening all over again. And it won't be hanging chads. It'll just be missing ballots. Or or what happened in the Democratic primary right. lately where they had to count over and over and over again and getting different results. So, so we've had a lot of issues. We Remember, we had the issues with the machines. We had we had the machine problem a few years back. So we've had a lot of issues. Um, and, and one of the things that we can say about this election is, you know, we don't have that many volunteers. The volunteer thing has always been concerning, right? Because the people because that the are pandem- voting. Because of the pandemic. Right, right. So, so they've had to like bring more staff in. They've extended the early voting. We actually have more days. We have less sites, but we have more days. So early voting is from 7 to 3. Uh, this week and into the weekend. And then it goes, I think, from 11 to 7 the following week. And it, you can order your AB. And then if you physically handed physically in. Hand it in, they check your license, you know, and they check you off. Um, but you can also order your AB. And if you decide to go vote, you can surrender it which is what I did for many years. So for many years, I, you know, before they changed the laws for ABs and we were all very concerned about them, I used to order my AB. And if I had time to go to early voting, I would just surrender my ballot and vote. Uh, but if something came up, <laughs> then yeah. I had the AB and I could just vote and, and put it in the mail. So Plus, it also allows you what doesn't happen often when you go physical. I must say, and I have to confess because I'm against all that stuff at a distance. I believe in the physical voting. 
it does allow you to study right right yes you have time to think about it you're not like making a split you know second decision there um so so there's there's a lot that you know again i i think we're going to learn from this i think that there's takeaways uh and and we are getting more people uh voting you know i think that older people should definitely vote ab i mean i don't think I don't think that they should be going outside. If they've been locked up all this time, you know, please, like, stay home. Don't go one day to do this one thing, you know, uh, because we're concerned about them. Uh, But, you know, and the important thing is for people to go out and vote. Uh, You can go to early voting. You can go Election Day. Uh, We're not really sure um, if the surge that we're seeing are, like, people like my dad who voted AB but would have gone to early voting. And then we have to follow early voting and see, well, are the people that are going early voting the people that would have gone Election Day? We're not going to know until Election Day uh, or if just people are voting more. I think that people are paying more attention to government. I think that government finally came home and knocked on the door. You know, I think people understand that local government makes a lot of decisions. Uh, Look, you were talking about the federal government. You know, one of the things that I find fascinating about this pandemic is the lack of understanding of the way our government works. I'm an attorney. I've been an attorney for 18 years. You know, uh, please, folks, take a civics lesson. The federal government cannot tell you to do certain things. We have a state run system. The powers, you know, we are a republic of states, you know, and and, and the the power that the federal government has and has grown over the last few years is the power of the purse. That is the power of the federal government. The federal government can wave money in your face and say, dance, you know, Uh, and then the state and then the states dance. Right. The president threatening not to fund the school that doesn't open. Right. So so that's the, the power, the power of the purse. But that is checked by Congress. You know, so that isn't even something, you know, that that can happen sort of unilaterally. But that being said, we we are a republic and our governors are the ones that make decisions and our governors are supposed to advocate for local decisions. In Miami-Dade County, we have a home rule charter. We stand different than the other counties. Yeah, because we were the first. We were the first county. And as a home rule, we have the ability to say what Tallahassee wants for us is not what is right for Miami-Dade County. Uh, and, And you know what, folks? That's a good thing. Yeah, we could, uh, don't I don't necessarily us. agree. Don't right. I, I don't necessarily agree with Carlos Jimenez. I think he's handled this poorly because I think he should have involved the mayors and involved the commissioners. It, this was the moment to sit down and work together, folks. Especially if this he wants is, to be a congressman. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you if you can't if you can't play in the sandbox, you shouldn't go to Washington. Right. right. But you know, this was a moment to yeah, yeah. This was a this was a this was a moment to really sit down uh, and try to figure things out and bring in business I'm people. Sorry to oh, Why by all means. You run for mayor? Uh, oh, this time around? Yeah. Well, I ran in sixteen. Too many people. Yeah. I guess. Now I got to tell pick you. Pick your poison in, in politics. No, no. Listen, I I ran in sixteen uh, because I was so frustrated and it was a very hard fought fight. I campaigned for two years, fifteen hour days. 
you know, um, and and when I was done, I was exhausted and my children were exhausted. And if I told my kids that I was going to run for mayor again, they might just leave, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, because it, it was it's an it was an all consuming thing. I mean, we were up against a lot of money. And, and listen, we took an incumbent to a runoff. I made history. You know, I, I stand by the hard work that, that we did. But Miami-Dade County is a very large county. It's a, it runs very, very deep. And people want to talk to the person that they're going to vote for. And it's so, not about Cuba anymore. No, no, no. It's about it's about issues. And I think that, you know, a, a lot of people um, really learned a lot from that campaign. And a lot of people had wished that they would have paid a little bit more attention uh, to what was happening. But, you know, in this in this race, I I decided um, for District 7 because there, there's so many needs in District 7. And there's going to be such a tremendous opportunity uh, with the change in the county commission. And we're going to have... Well, a, plus, you were defending us already on the school board. Yes, right. It, it was the same so, district. It was the same it, district. It's the same heart. Yeah, it's the same, same district. And, and one of the things that I hope will change with this new commission and with this new uh, mayor, to your point about D.C., look, when I was on the school board, I, you know, went to Tallahassee. You know, I, I, I responded to the criticism. Some of it was correct. Some of the criticism is correct. And I, I responded with solutions. Like when, when they cut our budget, I restructured our transit department. I sold buses. I bought new buses. I put kids on the metro rail. I saved us millions of dollars. And I went back to Tallahassee and said, you were right. We were spending too much money. We are being wasteful. This is what we're doing now. Can we please have transit funds? And you know what? They said, yeah. Now you can, you know, because you've proved, right, you you, you did it, right? You went back. The same thing with the Value Adjustment Board. You know, the Value Adjustment Board was two years behind. Uh, You know, the Value Adjustment Board, the county owed the schools $56 million. I spent 18 months restructuring the Value Adjustment Board. And when we were done, we took the $56,000 and we paid our teachers, you know, and and, and people, you know. You know, $56 million. 56 million, right, instead of raising taxes. So, you know, I put in 18 months. Hello, but, did you hear that, folks? But instead of raising, raising taxes. taxes. No, because the first, the first, you know, the first, you know, everybody always says, oh, just raise taxes. And I'm like, no, no, wait. No. It's like, whoa, 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 wait. Let's let's see what we can do first. And then 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 we'll have that conversation. So it's ironic when people talk about, you know, uh, that that I, you know, they attack me and say that I, ra- I never raised taxes. Uh, I supported the school bond. I wrote the school bond. I wrote the five-year plan. Uh, that was a tax, uh, but I never raised taxes on the on you know our yearly budget. In fact, I lowered the millage and and really worked very hard uh, to squeeze every penny that I could out of our system and to prove that we were doing right by the residents that we represented. Uh, but the the school bond was a different situation. It had to do with facilities. It had to do with investing in facilities. And I sold that town hall by town hall, radio show by radio show, explaining to parents why our kids needed technology and why we needed to upgrade our schools. Uh, and I so also you were behind the Perinthian boards, those famous Perinthians? Yes. Wow. Yes. Uh, and, and, and I was against the, you know, I paused the, the sale for the, the purchase of the tablets because I was against tablets. Uh, I was for laptops and we had this whole issue uh, with well, use the, and the utility. The boys, the teachers didn't want to use it because they didn't know how to. That's the issue we had with the training. Yeah. Right. But but that, that gets us to where we are now. I mean, right now, look at where we are. Look, we in, in Tallahassee, we started talking about virtual learning in 2010, 2010. 
Anitere Flores was the first one who brought virtual learning. And they lit her up. They lit her up. And I was one of the few people who was really interested, you know, and I actually brought virtual, you know, uh, projects to the school board. Like, for example, the school board used to dissect cats. Like, that's unnecessary. <laughs> I, why are we still I think doing it's this? Because it's cats. Yeah, no, no. I mean, I brought, you know, we eliminated it and we do a virtual uh, version of it Go now. Back to rats, but man. yeah, no, this is just, just unnecessary. Like, I, no one should cut up a pet, you know? It's just one of those things. Like, why are we doing that? But, you know, uh, but, but these are things that, you know, you need people to come in and sort of reevaluate it. And I think that's what we're going to see at the county. Back to your question as to, you know why the county commission i think the county commission has been doing things a certain way for for a very very long time and and i think now is a time to change that and to bring like a different perspective and hopefully end this animosity between the cities and the county you know i think there's some commissioners there that don't have that you know uh but unfortunately it comes from like the top and the mayor does have his issues you know with the municipalities but the residents of Miami-Dade County need their governments to work together and and right now they should be working together they should be working with the school board they should be working with the cities and we should be uh, being efficient and effective and not being wasteful uh, and helping each other you know and not to sound like trite but yeah this is this is you know as a community we have to respond as a community you know and and not get into finger pointing different people different countries but you know what we're all Miamians we're all Miamians you know we love really grateful that we were from originally different places in this great country let us in right so this is uh you've you're down to your last three minutes uh armando only go gets vote one, uh, go vote go and, vote keep his gain and armando gets one minute yeah so your closing statement because that was your last statement was i have one more question sorry it just came to me i just had a, <laughs> i just had a senior moment this is a big pressure big question for keep his gain shoot it might be the first time you heard it shoot but there is a willingness out here for us to buy Rickenbacker Causeway. Oh, would the Rickenbacker. You, would you be interested in relieving yourself of that gargantuan debt and we bond? Because we're talking a hundred million dollar bond. We Let's need to find re- right, we need to find a solution to the Rickenbacker. We need to find a solution the to the Rickenbacker. We want it, the reason why Keep Skinner's one, I'm one of the few people proponing it, but I've been hearing good things about it. Since we're losing our battle about going out to a hundred million dollar bond, because we find that to be ridiculous, I prefer that if this thing Chances are, I don't think it's going to win on in our elections because we're asking. It's an open-ended hundred billion. Right. Nobody, but, nobody votes for a blank check. Right. Nobody likes to vote for a blank check. But if there's going to be one, we should consider that that hundred million go to buying Rickenbacker Causeway's maintenance in the future. Why? Because we'll curve the development on Virginia Key for our children. Because I see that one day there could easily be, if the sewers moved like I want, I could see future developers going in there and grabbing Virginia Key. And I'm already dead, you know, 10, 20 years from now. But if we control the development on the Rickenbacker Causeway as a city where we take on the debt, you guys are relieved. The problem is that you guys use it for Venetian Causeway, you use it for other reasons. Would you be supportive of something like that? Or at least be the mouthpiece to convince others on the council? Right, of course. So listen, we need to find a solution to the Rickenbacker. This is a disaster. You know, one of the problems that the county has is... They spent a lot of money repairing a bridge that should be uh, demolished. I Agreed. saw the underbelly. I saw the infrared exams. I spent well, two hours watching that. It's they they spent a lot of money. They they spent a lot of money on no. they spent a lot of money on band aids. They spent a lot of money on band aids. That bridge should go at Seaquarium and should not come down until after the golf course. 
meaning up the so whole you're way. Talking, you're talking about Bear Cut Bridge. All of them. The, the, the two bridges. The, the first one's already uh, apparently refurbished and short enough that I think it can survive. The big bridge is obviously beautiful and needs not to meet touch. So the bear cut and the small bridge have to be reconsidered. But just for traffic flow alone, especially for heart attacks and emergencies when you need to get the emergency, because I just went through that. It was a very slow process sitting inside an ambulance. Um, if the bridge were to rise above the aquarium, start there, Going up all the way past the, the golf course, you can see exits like in the Keys coming down off that off the bridge to drop off boats. Uh, activity down there, the bikers are down there, and the speed traffic to keep a scan is way above everybody, never stopping for anybody. And then they come back down right after the golf course back to ground level. Um, I think the village of Kibiskay would participate with the state of Florida and Dade County since there's a state park at the end of this. Right. The question is, would you allow us to privately fund it with a transportation construction? We need company? a solution, and I'm willing to sit down and find a solution. And listen, yes, our relationship is based on that, right? Our relationship Start, is based it, on it that. It started in 2010. Yes, our relationship is based on that. So we need a solution, and the county cannot stand in the way. If the county cannot get something done, then it needs to step aside and let someone else do it. That's just a reality uh, of what we're dealing with in terms of infrastructure. I will say this, though. I think that one of the things that we're going to see uh, in the next few years is a large investment in infrastructure funding. So we are going to see money for water and sewer. We are going to see money for bridges. We are going to see money uh, for roads. So we need to capitalize on that and work together uh, and really be thoughtful about the priorities. Of course, of what the priorities are. I mean, you know, this is your only way in and way out. I mean, this is this needs to be a priority. So Um, we're finally going to have a council member, sorry, a commissioner. That's going to listen to Key Biscayne. Thank Definitely. you very much, Raquel. Always, always. And I can't thank you enough for coming Go ahead here. and vote. 344. Yeah, 344 <laughs> and 148, I learned. 148 and also Esteban Bobo. He's my man. Oh, yeah. he plugged in Esteban Bobo for mayor. All right, so you're listening to WSQF Blink Radio. We've had a great time. As you can see here on Blink Radio 94.5, we pretty much converse with our guests, not really journalists per se. And Markel, you've been marvelous. Thank oh, you very much for always a pleasure for reminiscing about our travels together for the building of Mast Academy. Armando, thank you for putting your hat in the ring <laughs> and doing the battle up there. I need a hat. You need a hat. <laughs> so stay free, my friends. You're listening to the afternoon show of the Concrete Conservative with Raquel Regalado and Armando Chapelli. Two great people doing great things in a great country. Amen. And stay free. Bye bye, my friends.